Happy New Year, everybody. And those watching online as well, uh, welcome uh, to, to Five Oaks and to the service. And uh, I don't know, for those of you who are with this 9 a.m. service, uh, did you get enough sleep last night? I did not. <laughs> I, I think I fell asleep at about quarter to 12, and, uh, and then about 200 feet from us, we live on a hill, 200 feet from us, these people do these big fireworks. And we've got this big picture window in our bedroom, and they're blowing like this, like the whole thing is covered. And uh, so I was awake again, but I did fall asleep before they finished. I was so tired. So uh, I asked last night for the Saturday night congregation, I said, how many of you are going to stay up till midnight in New York City? <laughs> and maybe some of you did that. All right, so we are starting a little mini-series, actually two weeks long, on, uh, we're calling the story of baptism, it's on Matthew chapter 3. Uh, throughout Advent, we looked uh, in some depth at Matthew chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to continue in Matthew, in and out of Matthew, throughout this year, doing mini-series through sections uh, of Matthew. So consider this one of those, and we're going to look at chapter 3 today, not all of it in detail, but the second half uh, particularly. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we like to say around here that understanding the Bible and your part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery. And so we open our Bibles, we look at it. If you want to take one of the Bibles from the seat rack in front of us, it's on page 967, seat in front of you, um, page 967. So I was reading about a, <clears throat> a South Asian country, uh, it goes unnamed in the article, but it, is, uh, it was a mission organization that was talking about this. And it is predominantly Hindu nation. And in that country, it is illegal to convert from Hinduism to Christianity. And so there are laws even against it. And so well, one of the laws is if you get baptized as a Hindu, you get baptized into Christianity, you could be convicted and sent to prison for up to three years. And if you perform that baptism, you could be convicted and sent to prison up to six years. So I just want to imagine if by some happenstance you were in that country and someone uh, had become a follower of Jesus from Hinduism and they came to you and they asked you, should I get baptized? It's pretty dangerous. It's pretty risky. What would you say? Would you be able, would you make a case for baptism? Would you be able to make a case for baptism? Or would you say, really, it's not that important. As long as you have faith in Jesus, that's all that really matters. And and just, just go forward. If you were asked to do the baptism, to actually baptize the person, would you do it? And would you be able to, if you decided to do it, would you be able to go to your family and explain to them why you are going to risk six years of imprisonment in order to baptize someone? Now, obviously, it's an extreme example. But in that kind of extreme type of situation, you have to be really clear about what baptism is, don't you? You're, you're not going to just do it because, well, it's the thing to do. You're going to do it because you have a very, very, very clear idea of what baptism is. And the reality is that in our own situation, because it's easy, the reality is that sometimes we are ignorant about something that the Scripture seems to put a lot of emphasis on and uh, Jesus puts a lot of emphasis on. So I'm going to talk 
today and next week about four reasons why baptism is important from the Bible. And my, my hope is that uh, you'll understand your own baptism better. Uh, and, uh, and in understanding your own baptism better, it'll be a catalyst for your own spiritual growth this year. But uh, if you haven't been baptized and you are a follower of Jesus, my hope is that you'll say, it's time to be baptized. So I want to invite you to pray with me out loud the prayer of uh, illumination and um, that we're going to be praying this month. It'll be up on the screen. So let's pray together. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's follow along as a couple of our five ochres begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 3. Matthew 3, 11 through 17. John the Baptist is speaking and says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So if, if we're going to understand baptism better, I think a, a great place to start is right here with the baptism of Jesus. It provides kind of a great starting point, of, uh, uh, a launching space, a portal into what the Bible has to say uh, about baptism. And so that's, that's where we're going to start. So if you're reading along in Matthew, just to give you a little context, the last time you see Jesus... Uh, before this passage is at the very end of Matthew chapter 2 as Jesus and his family are sojourning in Egypt. They're refugees, living as refugees in Egypt, and they come back home to Nazareth. And so they come back to Israel, they come back to uh, Joseph's home and, and Mary's home, and they come back to, to Nazareth. So uh, from there, uh, we don't know what age he was. We don't know at what you know, point in his life that happened, but we can assume that it probably happened pretty young in life. Uh, it was after Herod had died. That's kind of the catalyst for it. Herod the Great had died, and the people who were trying to kill Jesus, and so they come up to Nazareth. And then the next time you see him is in verse 13, where he goes from Nazareth, it tells us, to the place where John was baptizing people. The traditional site that people think on the Jordan is right about here, but it could have been in some other locations around there. Okay, so uh, he travels about 70 miles uh, to come and, and be baptized by, by John. Now, 
in the earlier part of the chapter, we learn about John. John is introduced in verse 1 of chapter 3. We learn that he is a prophet. He is a preacher of repentance. And repentance means that you are changing your mind. You're changing your direction. You were going in one direction away from God, and now you're turning back to God. And that's what John is calling people to do. And then if they turn back to God and turn away from the direction that they were going, John says, let's show what you you know, this decision that you've made by coming into the river and I'm going to dunk you into the water and then you're going to come up out of the water. And so that's, that's the whole idea. And what John was doing there was something new. It was an innovation. So John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, innovation. Nobody else was doing it as far as we know, but baptism itself wasn't new. Baptism was widely used as a cleansing ritual within Judaism. Now, so to better understand of what, what's going on there and what John is working with and the innovation, I'm gonna go back and, and just look at what baptism is itself, what the word means and how it was understood at that time. So the, the English word to, to baptize is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which means to plunge or to dip or to submerge or to immerse. Uh, to dunk would be another way uh, to say it. And by transliteration, it means it's not a translation of the word. It doesn't find an equivalent word in a language. Instead, it takes the original word in another language, the Greek word, and just baptizes it, no pun intended, with whatever language you're speaking. So it gives it pun intended. I'm sorry, that, that was. I don't do puns, and it just came to me. Um, so it, it, it kind of, it takes that word and puts it into the language. And I think most languages do it that way, at least languages that, that I know. So um, if baptizo was translated, it would be something like plunge, submerge, immerse, dip, dunk, those kinds of things. So in a sense, you could call John, uh, John the dipper or John the submerger or, or something, something like that. Or you can just keep calling him John the Baptist or John the baptizer. So it was a common ritual that was used in Judaism at the time, but done differently than the way that John would do it. So it was used as a cleansing ritual as part of getting ready for the temple and that sort of thing. It was repeated, so you would do it each time you were going to enter a certain area, and uh, you would do it to yourself. You would walk into a baptism pool and submerge yourself, and you would go out. So that's how it was basically done. And here there's a picture of, of, of a baptismal from the time of Jesus, uh, right around the temple, in the temple area. There have been 40 of these that have been found from the time of Jesus. This one is right by the southern steps. So it's quite likely that that actual, that Jesus would have walked, you know, within, you know, within 50 feet, 100 feet, or one foot of that baptismal. It's, it's possible that he used it. Now, he probably didn't use that one in particular, but it's possible that he used it before going into the temple. Um, 40 of these have been found. That means there was a lot more uh, if 40 have been found, and many, many more have been found all around Jerusalem and in the synagogues throughout Israel. So it was a common practice, but it was different than what John was doing. Okay, so with that background, let's look at uh, the first of four reasons why baptism is so important. So, 
The first one is that we are disciples of Jesus, and Jesus mandated disciple, uh, mandated baptism for his disciples. Baptism is a matter of obedience to that mandate. So um, let me let me clarify something in the in this statement. Uh, when I say we are disciples of Jesus, basically, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Sometimes people get the idea that there are Christians, and then there are the really serious Christians who are the ones that are discipled or disciples, you know. But basically, it just means a follower, a student, that kind of thing, an apprentice to Jesus. That's what the Christian life is. So we are disciples of Jesus, and Jesus mandated baptism for his disciples. So it's a it's a matter of obedience to his, to his mandate. So where does he mandate it? He mandates it at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in what is known as the Great Commission, where it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So he's talking to the 11 disciples, you know, 12 minus Judas, and he's giving them a commission of what they're going to continue to do and what is going to be continually done. Okay, so it's not just a one-time thing. The disciples baptize disciples and it all ends. It's you make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's why we're here uh, today. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There are a lot of mandates in there. And, um, you know, three of the mandates that are in there, it, one of them is a worldwide mission. Go to all the nations, making disciples. A uh, second mandate is that uh, they, disciples are to be taught what the commands of Jesus, so basically the way of Jesus, so teach the way of Jesus to the new disciples. And the other one is baptism. And, and really, there's nothing to suggest in there that any one of those three is optional. That we, as a church, we, we go to, the, to all the world, not every individual, but we do as the church. We teach the way of Jesus. We baptize new disciples, new people who become followers of Jesus. So at this point, um, let's just look at a very important principle, which is that since Jesus mandates that all disciples be baptized, it's mandatory for discipleship. <laughs> now, it's not required for salvation, but it's mandatory for discipleship. Faith alone is what is needed for salvation. But when we put our faith in Jesus and we begin to follow him, there are certain things that follow from that. Following Jesus, doing life in the way that Jesus does life, all those things, understanding what he taught and living the life that he called us to live. And, and we do it, we don't do it perfectly. Uh, we live in God's grace and in God's forgiveness, but, but there are certain things that we do and one of them is we get baptized. And so it becomes a matter of obedience. So John the Submerger models uh, for us in this passage obedience too. So when Jesus arrives and he says, I need to be baptized by you, John is repulsed. It's like, no, you're, you're more important than I am. I'm here to prepare the way for you, all of that. To John, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever that he should baptize Jesus. 
And so, and from our vantage point, it doesn't make sense either. Because John probably wasn't struggling with this. He was struggling with, this is the guy I'm preparing for. You know, he's more important than I am. But for us, we, we know a little bit more about Jesus. And we know that Jesus is sinless. And he's being baptized for repentance. Because that's John's baptism. And he has nothing to repent of. So it creates... Uh, some problems for us. So look at, look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now, um, what does Jesus mean when he says it's the proper thing to do to fulfill all righteousness is not 100% clear, but we have a sense of what it means because we have the rest of the story. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into it when we talk about why would Jesus have a baptism of repentance? Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that later in a, in a few moments. But as we're uh, looking at this and we're seeing that John is looking at it, he doesn't have the rest of the story. I mean, we, we see later in John's ministry that he's very confused when he's in prison. He's like, Jesus isn't who I expected he was. And so he doesn't understand the kind of Messiah that Jesus is and that what he's doing is exactly what the Messiah is supposed to do. He doesn't have the rest of the story. But when Jesus says do it, he does it. He does it out of a sense of obedience. So John is not the kind of person that demands understanding, a, a commandment by his, in a sense, commanding officer before he's going to carry it out. And now, we do have greater understanding, and we don't have to just move forward in baptism without really understanding it. Um, we can be obedient and understanding at the same time. So, that's one of the things that we're going to do. But, but really, it comes down to, are we going to be obedient to Jesus' mandate? So, baptism is important because Jesus mandates that his followers get baptized. It's a matter of obedience. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus, part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Second reason, we live storied lives. We live storied lives, and baptism tells and even reenacts God's redemption story. It's an important aspect of spiritual formation, of being formed spiritually. Uh, not only, as we're going to see, not only for the person being baptized, but also for the congregation where the person is baptized. So we live storied lives. What do I mean by that? Well, if I ask you um, about yourself, you, and let's say we just met, and we have an extended time to talk. You're going to tell me a few facts about yourself, but before long, you're going to start telling me stories because that's how we understand ourselves, and that's how we get to know someone. It might be the story of how you moved to where you live now. It might be the story of where you came from, a story about your family. It's stories. We live storied lives. We understand ourselves through stories. Whole cultures and societies pass on what's important to them through stories. And once you, once you start seeing this, you see, we, oh yeah, we live storied lives. Facts, dates, important, 
studying history, but make absolutely no sense without the story around it. No sense whatsoever. It's just names and dates and named events, you know, but you've got to know the story in order to understand it. The majority of the Bible is story, more than 60% of the Bible is story in form, in genre. And the rest of it, the, the Psalms, prayers, laws, instructions, epistles, they make no sense whatsoever without the story. That's why we teach the story of God class here. And we want everybody to go through it because until, yes, you can make some sense of the story, some sense of the story, but to really understand what's happening in the Bible as you read it, you need to know the bigger story. It belongs as part of a larger story. And it's told with the assumption, it is told with the assumption that you've read the rest of the story, always. Maybe not always, you know, what comes up ahead, but it's always talking about what's up ahead, but it's always told in a way that we need some sense of what came earlier in the story to really be able to understand it. Um, most of us are also very aware that we live lives that are formed by stories. The stories impact us. Uh, I think any nation worth preserving knows the next generation needs to hear the stories, the good, bad, and ugly stories of that nation for that nation to survive. Uh, most businesses have an origin story, an about section. How did this business start? And that's more for the insiders many times than for the people who are thinking of using the business. It's to keep the spirit of the business alive. It's a tech company. It started in a garage, even if it didn't. Why? Why, why the tech companies always emphasize how they started from nothing in a garage or something like that? It's because they know they can only survive with the spirit of innovation. So you tell a story of the innovation that created the company so that you keep innovating because we, are, we live story-formed lives. We're story-formed in a sense that all great stories are meant to inspire action. So we tell stories to our kids we tell stories to each other. I just read a story this morning that a friend said, greatest story I've ever read. <laughs> and uh, it was about a guy who saved a bunch of people in Buffalo and broke into a school. Maybe you've seen the story. And, and the story inspires so much and inspires you to want to, to be a, a hero uh, like that. So we live storied lives. We are story formed. So what does that have to do with baptism? Well, if I could have the next slide. Baptism tells a story that is part of a much larger story. It's a story that begins all the way back in Genesis in the first page of the Bible, the first book of the Bible. Um, there are three elements, three major elements in Jesus' baptism story. Uh, there's the conversation between Jesus and John. There is uh, the words spoken by God over Jesus. And then there is this dove that comes to Jesus. It makes sense to some degree all on its own. I mean, you may, you may read it and you go, well, I don't quite understand the whole dove thing, but you get a voice from heaven. That's, that's pretty significant, you know, and, and all of this, I, you know, Jesus getting baptized, I don't really quite know why he felt he needed to do that, but okay, you know. But if you have the rest of the story and you understand that within that story, all of a sudden it takes on greater and greater meaning. Problem is we don't often, even those of us 
who read the Bible regularly don't stop and ask the questions about what, where does this story come from? How does it fit into the bigger story? So there are different ways of seeing how it fits into the story. We're going to look at three of those ways. And one is foreshadowing. There's things that are happening in this story that are foreshadowing what's coming in the rest of the story. Really important things. Another thing is design patterns. There are patterns within the Bible that, that you see being carried out in this story. And it's meant to recall earlier stories. Uh, and then finally, there are echoes, words spoken, actions taken, that echo things that happened earlier in the story I intentionally. There's no way it just happened. It's done intentionally. All right, so we're going to look at those three so we can understand baptism is part of this bigger story in the Bible. So first of all, foreshadowing. This is really important. When Jesus is baptized as a sign of repentance, he is identifying with us and our sin just as he will identify with us in our sin on the cross. So his baptism foreshadows his atoning sacrifice as our representative on the cross. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story of him going to the cross and being an atoning sacrifice and all of that, that's not going to make a whole lot of sense, but we spend a lot of time as a church talking about that, and you'll get that eventually um, as you're here. So when Jesus eventually goes to the cross, he goes as our representative. So he absorbs, the Bible tells us, he absorbs the penalty. He takes our sin on himself and he absorbs the penalty that we should have, that we should experience for our sin. He absorbs it on himself. And that promise of identifying with us or that process of identifying with us so that he can represent us begins at the very beginning of his story. He is born as a man, flesh and blood man. Uh, the way that we explain that theologically, he was truly man and truly divine. And so he doesn't cease to be God, but he becomes truly man. It's, a, it's the incarnation. And so without the incarnation, you don't have the cross. And so it begins with the incarnation. But his baptism is one more way that he identifies with us so that he can represent us. So if you scratch your head and say, why well, she's getting rap for, for repentance, it's another way of identifying with us. So Jesus on the cross dies as a criminal, even though <coughs> even though he never committed a crime. He's baptized as a sign of repentance, even though he has nothing from which to repent of. All right, so you have this foreshadowing of the cross that's coming. There's even a place where Jesus describes what he's going to experience on the cross as his baptism. So even, it's not in Matthew, but it's in Luke and in Mark. It even drives home more that foreshadowing. Um, then we have the design patterns in this story. So uh, we'll, we'll look at how, how this works. So if you uh, take a tapestry, for example, and you look at it, you can see certain design patterns in there. And, um, you know, there's differences and then there's things that are, that are very similar and just about every tapestry is going to have that unless it's completely chaotic and everything is completely uh, different. But usually there's a design pattern in it. So if you think of the Bible as a big, beautiful tapestry that's been woven over time, there's design patterns that happen in the story just like design patterns in a tapestry. And you can see uh, the patterns in tapestries and you can see them in stories as well. 
If I can have the next slide. One design pattern in the Bible story is the pattern of going through water to enter new life. So, uh, go back to the very beginning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The whole world is just covered in water. And the way that it describes it is, is deep abyss. It's kind of this, this sense of chaos. And, and then as creation happens, land, God brings the land up out of the water so that then life can come onto that land. Um, think of the story of Noah going through water and new life. Think of the story of the Israelites. They're in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Moses leads them in an exodus. They come to the Red Sea. The army is behind them and the sea parts and they walk through water into new life. 40 years later, Joshua, Moses' successor, is guiding the people into the promised land. They come up to the Jordan and once again, they walk through the water in order to come to new life. John the Baptist is taking cues from that. Why would John take something that is a cleansing ritual and say, we're going to talk about, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a change of life, a change of direction in your life, and showing it by going under the water and then coming out of the water. It's because of this pattern. Now, if you read Romans chapter 6 from the Apostle Paul, you see him using that pattern as well. We're going to look at that passage next week um, for a different reason, but I want to show you how Peter uses that pattern in um, his epistle. And there's some things in here that, that are, uh, take a little bit more explanation, but we're not going to focus on that, just focus on the pattern. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Um, in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. We'll just, we'll just stop right there for the sake of time. But that's, that is, that's saying, I mean, he's it's, it's, it's using design pattern language. He's saying, just as this, this pattern through water, life through water, in the same way, saved through water, baptism. Uh, symbolizes that death through water. Another design pattern, it's a little harder to detect in some ways, uh, is the design pattern of divine love that runs through the scripture. Divine love of God within himself. And so there's this pattern of divine love that when the Bible says God, God is love and he's existed for eternity past, that means he wasn't alone. <laughs> And then the scripture explains he's not alone. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's one, but three persons within one. So there has been this relationship of love that's been going on. We, we talk about this in our Story of God class, almost like a perfect dance, give and take of th these three, God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, in a relationship of divine love. You read, you read about it in the scripture. Jesus talks about this relationship that they had um, within themselves. And this is a, for all of eternity. So when humanity is created, why are we created? We're created to enter into that relationship of love. And it's very obvious, God wants to be with us. And that's how the story is gonna end. You know, even though we reject God, it's gonna end with a new heaven and a new earth where God will be with us again. That's what God wants. 
wants to be with us. And here, in Jesus' baptism, what do you have? Um, can I have the next slide? I think it's a slide. Nope. Okay, go back. Sorry. In Jesus' baptism, you have God the Father expressing His love for the Son and the Spirit coming down like a dove. Uh, all three are just working together in that passage. Look at verse 16 where it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and, we saw this, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, so there's that, that pattern that's going to be run, that runs through Scripture. But then when Jesus, in Matthew 28 gives a great commission, and he says, you need to baptize people. And when you baptize them, baptize them in the name of, recall the pattern, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptize them out of the same love that God created us in the very beginning. I've got it in my notes. Holy design patterns, Batman. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and you begin to see this passage, so much going on here. Just a few short verses. But when you know the rest of the story and the foreshadowing and all, it's, it's just incredible what's happening in the patterns, the design patterns that, that go through there. So I put a link uh, to a Bible project paper in your notes that uh, uses the design pattern of from water into life and goes into greater detail than I can go right now. Now, here's one last one, um, echoes. So we have echoes, call them hyperlinks. Uh, you can call them Easter eggs if you were using, talking about a movie. You know, these things that are put in there that refer to things that happened earlier in the movie. And so um, they're all over baptism. Uh, they're so complex that if I were going to give you a lecture on it right now, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, and going into depth, meaning I'm just not assuming that I can just say this and you're going to get it, but going into depth, we could spend hours talking about the echoes in this passage because one echo to one place, the, the way that in Judaism they would read the Bible is you just tell them one story and then they think of that pattern that runs through the whole story. And we would follow that, and we could spend hours doing that. So um, we're just going to dip our toe in it. And, uh, and when I need something to explain something pretty fast, I always turn to the Bible Project, so I'm going to show you a clip from the Bible Project that kind of gives you a sense of the echoes that are in there. Let's watch. So John is now a prophet, and he's leading a renewal movement down at the Jordan River. And all of these Israelites are coming to be baptized, the poor, the rich, tax collectors, even soldiers. Yeah, what's going on here? So all of these people are dedicating themselves to a new way of life. By getting dunked in a river? So long ago, Israel came to inherit this land by crossing through the Jordan River. And God gave them a responsibility. They were called to serve him alone, to love their neighbor, and pursue justice together. And we know from stories in the Old Testament that they failed at this repeatedly. Right. So John's calling Israel to start over, to go back through the river and come out rededicated to their God, 
ready for the new thing that God's about to do. And so it's within this renewal movement that Jesus first appeared. Jesus is baptized by John and the sky opens up and a voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, God's words here are packed with echoes from the Hebrew scriptures. This first line is from Psalm 2, where God promised that a king would come who would rule in Jerusalem and confront evil among the nations. And then this next line is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and it refers to the Messiah who would become a servant and suffer and die on Israel's behalf. All right. Again, that only scratches the surface. And like I've said before, you, you know, you get an hour's worth of information in a Bible project video, but you got to watch it about 12 times. <laughs> so five minutes, but uh, to really get it. It only scratches the surface. Think of the video, the, those words that God speaks over Jesus. Uh, one of them alludes to this servant figure from Isaiah. All right, so Isaiah, one of the major themes, one of the threads, one of the design patterns through there is it talks about the servant who is coming. And it becomes very obvious that the servant is uh, Messiah. And so there's, in chapter 42, we're introduced, uh, or it's one of the places where it talks about the servant. And then the story develops in the servant. Isaiah is really difficult to follow. It's all over the place, but every once in a while it comes back to the servant and back to the servant and back to the servant. And eventually the servant is the same, the one I am well pleased is the one in 42 is the one who takes on the sin of the world in Isaiah 53. The one who is punished for our iniquities, who takes the sin of us. And so the studied reader knows about the connection between the servant of Isaiah 42 and the suffering servant of Isaiah 43. We're not going to do the passage, Jim, so we, I'm running out of time. So that's the story, that's one of the stories that's echoed in Jesus' baptism. You don't have to tell the whole story for a person familiar with the story, and this happens in your life as well. You don't have to tell, if you refer to, if you're like Star Wars fans, you know, and you don't have to tell the whole story, you can refer to one thing, and immediately you're going to think of where that goes, and that's exactly how they do that, all right? So it's just amazing story. So Next slide. When you were baptized, you were reenacting parts of God's story. Entering the story. Being formed by that story. But you weren't doing it for yourself alone. You were doing it for everyone who was there that day. Everyone was entering the story and being formed by the story. You see, it? it's not just about you. It's about everyone participating in your baptism. Baptism forms all of us. Every baptism story forms the rest of us. Next week, I'm going to cover two more reasons why baptism is important. But if you're like, okay, uh, I haven't been baptized and I've heard enough, uh, come back next week anyways, <laughs> so that you understand it even in a fuller way. But, but it's time to get baptized. Write baptism on your Connect card, and we'll tell you what our process is uh, for that here. Or wait till next week, and we'll continue doing this. If you've already been baptized, my, like I said, my hope is that this becomes a catalyst as you go from here, as you continue to respond to God. Um, that'll be a catalyst for your own growth of continuing to enter into that glorious story 
of God that we get in the Bible, the story of the gospel. And, and if you, you know, before we get baptized, we need to enter into a relationship with Christ. And the Bible tells us we do that by faith. We put our faith in Jesus. We recognize that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for us. It's like, we can't do this for ourselves. It's by, only by God's grace. We can't do this for ourselves. We are told that we become a follower of Jesus by receiving what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so you have to ask for that. You have to take that step of faith and ask for that. And maybe that's where you are today. And I pray that you would take that step or at least take one step closer to making that decision to follow Jesus. All right, let's begin our response here as we move into our third movement of our worship. Take the, the bread. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, Scripture says, took bread and when he had given it, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering that atoning sacrifice. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You understand? We tell a story. When we do that, we enter into that story. Father, as we continue to respond to you here and as we go out and live our lives in you, empower us and strengthen us. I pray for anyone here today who needs to move closer to you and cross that line by putting their faith in you to become a disciple, your follower. I pray that they would do it now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.